I hope you're actually really enjoying having to go slow. I know some days this week there's only been a handful of verses or less and just taking your time to go through it slowly. I've been extremely blessed and I've picked up a lot of really neat things. How about you, Ash? Yeah, yeah, same. I, I think there's a lot of a lot of stuff, I guess, at the introduction of today's study that kind of leans to the last study that we did. Yeah. But then this week where I guess the majority of what we've looked at has been a parable. Yeah, it, it has been. And do you know what I actually really enjoyed about this week? It broke the parable up. Yeah. And I felt for the first time, like honestly, I've never done this before. For the first time, I felt like, oh, that that's what they, they would have heard. Yeah. Because like with the parable of the sower, like he didn't say the parable and the meaning to everyone. There was some time gap. And so on one day when you were just reading the parable, I found myself so tempted to just flick over the page to find this meaning. Yes, yes. But it gave me this kind of perspective of, no, that's how the multitude would would have heard it, just that, and trying to make sense of just that. I really enjoyed that. Mm. And I love how it was just simple. Like it's a simple kind of – and this is the beauty of Jesus' teachings because he, he takes from the common everyday kind of affairs of life and he just brings across this message that, you know – when you study, you can understand, but at the same time, you know, we can't possibly plumb the depths of it, yeah. you know, as we as we look into the depths of what Jesus is actually trying to get at. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Um, well, before we get into kind of like the simple stuff, yeah. we've got some heavy stuff first yes. in the section of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Yeah, let's get to it. Um, what jumped out of you in this? Oh, mate. Um I think that in order to understand what Jesus is getting at here, we have to understand what's gone beforehand. That's kind of how I've been feeling through the, the, this reading too. It's like today's reading only makes sense in the context of yesterday's. Yes. And so you can't kind of forget. You can't just – it just shows how you can't just treat even a paragraph as standalone. Yes. And so maybe we should do just a, a quick revision on, I guess, the journey of the Pharisees before we try to address this. Do you think yeah, that would be sure. Good? I'm happy to do that if you want. Yeah. Just very briefly, and we kind of talked about this last week, that there's chapter two was pretty much a documentation of the steady hardening of their heart. Yes. So they seem to come to Jesus curious. Then it comes kind of resisting and trying to find fault mm. to, and then being shown that they're in the wrong to plotting and conniving to finally creating this partnership with political leaders for the demise of Jesus. Yeah. And so that's the last we've kind of heard of them. And then Jesus goes away and then he comes back and now the scribes are back into in the picture. And I actually make a point on that. Um, in verse 22, we'll just read it out quickly. It says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And so I think something that really jumped out to me from this verse is the fact that these scribes who come are coming from Jerusalem. So these are the big heavies. Yeah, yeah. You see it's, that as well? It's got to the conference. It's got <laughs> to the GC. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, for sure, because prior to that, they're in Capernaum. Yes. And so now the heavies have come and they're doing this. Mm. The other thought that I kind of had is the last time we saw the scribes, is we were told that they had joined with the Herodians yeah. um, to, to bring the destruction of Jesus. So in my brain, when as soon as I saw the scribes, I thought of that and I was like, Okay, so whatever we see them doing now, it makes sense that that is an executing of the plan that they'd come up with. It's it's a very definite 
line drawn in the sand there's it's not covert it's now overt like yes. resistance to jesus beforehand it was like who does this man think he is but now it's like you have the spirit of satan yeah and i publicly. actually wrote this down as a side kind of note and this is the first time we see the scribes preaching yeah yeah you know what i mean so every other time they're there listening or trying to trap but now they're the ones preaching mm. and what are they preaching they're accusing him of being demon possessed did you find it interesting i, I actually found it quite interesting when i was like considering this passage that they're not denying the fact that he's performing miracles. Of course, because he did it in front of them and in front of all the other people. And, and it, it kind of, this is the point that jumped out to me. This is my, my lesson and my application. You know, sometimes people think, oh, well, I need more evidence before I have faith. Yes. But, but here are these guys that have an abundance of evidence and still they won't believe. Like so much evidence that the Son of God is here and he's forgiving sins and he's healing people. He's doing things that nobody else has done and still. Yes. They don't believe. 100%. In Bible studies that I do uh, with people um, that are really skeptical, I always ask them, all right, so what would it take for you to be convinced? Mm. And almost every time they're like, look, man, he, an angel would need to appear in front of me and say, God and Jesus are real, believe him. I'm like, okay. So let's just imagine that I say, all right, show him God. And this angel appeared right in front of you and said what you 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 claim would be enough for you to believe. Mm. Would you then believe? <laughs> and every single time they pause and they reflect and like, probably not. I probably think like, what did he put in this drink? Yeah. Does this hallucination? And you just come up with reasons to not yeah. believe if you don't want to believe. And yeah, Ellen White puts it so well. I think it's in Steps to Christ where she, she says that there's always going to be hooks for you to hang your doubts on. Mm. And I just love that imagery. You know, if you're, if you're wanting to doubt, you'll find reasons to doubt. Yeah. And it reminds me of that verse in John chapter 3 where Jesus says that they love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The Spirit's been convicting them. Mm. They know they're without excuse, but they're not submitting their will. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and if you don't want to submit your will, that they're just that's it. Like doesn't matter what you show. They don't want that. Yeah, and it just shows the hardening of the heart. 100%. I, I think that we should look at um, what Jesus does after they say that he's you know, casting out demons yeah. by the prince of demons. Um, it's, he, he starts to teach in parables, and this is the first time that Jesus teaches in parables in the Gospel of Mark. And, and I find it interesting that... There's a pivot. It's a real pivot. It's kind of like, okay, well, if you didn't understand my clear statements, yes. then now I'm going to teach in parables. Because remember the paralytic that was let down through the roof? And he says to them, you know, I do this that you may know. Yes. But he's like, okay, now I'm going to have to kind of, you know, I'm going to have to teach you these things, but I'm going to do it through story. Well, the thing is, he, he knows they know. But now they fashion themselves as his enemies. Yes. And they want to destroy the work that he needs to do. And so he now has to teach in a different way where they'll miss what he's saying. But those who are truly seeking get it. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah. so so like they've hardened their heart against him and they fashion themselves as enemies. I think that's an important kind of phrase. Often we think God has enemies. But it's not because he's determined that. It's they have fashioned themselves as enemies. Yeah. What you see from God up to this point is trying to help them and give them the evidence and the signs that they need to believe. Yes. But they fashion themselves and harden their heart to the point where they're closed off to the spirit. Yeah. And from then on, he's like, okay, th all they're going to be listening for is to attack. Yeah. Not to know. And I think that um, 
majority of what we're going to be looking at here, what we have looked at this week is just Jesus just re-emphasizing, reinforcing this very point, that point that you just shared. Um, there are those that are on the inside, there are those on the outside. Yep. And God hasn't determined who's on the inside and who's on the outside. Who is on the inside is dependent upon those who hear and accept. Yep. And I think, yeah. Let's address quickly the um, the uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so what I kind of wrote down here is that there's two ways to interpret this. Um, it, it, because it finishes off with him saying this to them, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Hmm. So there's two ways to interpret it. Either like the unpardonable sin is attributing to Satan something that God has done. Hmm. The challenge I have with that is there's many testimonies of people that I know who attributed to Satan things that God was doing and have since given their life to God and they are forgiven. So that can't be the totality of the unpardonable sin. Yeah. The... Next way I wrote down is that another way to interpret this is even though the scribes know he's Messiah, they have not submitted to that mm-hmm. and have slowly but surely been hardening their hearts to the point where they no longer hear the convicting spirit. It's a gradual resistance. And that's what we that's why you can't just have this passage alone. You've got to read the story of scripture. Yeah. Not just pick out verses. And you notice like just just quickly, sorry, bro, it's like Go. um this comes at the end of all those successive stories with the Pharisees yeah. and dealing. It doesn't come halfway through, it doesn't become at the beginning. Jesus has been laboring with them and then finally the big heavies come from Jerusalem. It's like, no, you have the spirit of the devil. It's like this final moment, we've rejected you and now we're 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 openly opposed to you in your ministry. Yes. Yeah, 100%. But see, the reason I think I wrote, the reason he emphasizes it because you say he has an unclean spirit is like the sign that they've committed the unpardonable sin is not because of those words specifically, but because they're lies. Mm. So you have the church leaders coming from Jerusalem to publicly lie. They know that they are lying. We know that they know because earlier on, Jesus said they know, yeah. right? Mm. And so how can you be in a place where you feel that it's righteous to publicly lie? Or to deny the truth that's so evident. But they're not just denying anymore. They're out there attacking. So like, yeah. what's the only possible way that you can be out there feeling righteous, feeling godly for publicly lying? I think it's because you seed your conscience. Because Exactly. Because you can no longer hear the Holy Spirit convicting you about lying. Mm. So the only way someone gets to that place where they feel godly for sinning is if they can't hear the Spirit convicting them of that anymore. Does it make sense? So I think that's the other interpretation of it. It's like, no, no, no. This comes at the end of the story. And it's not this, it's not an event that happened that can't be forgiven. It's a trajectory. It's where they've placed their heart. It's the condition their heart got to Mm. where they can no longer be convicted by the Holy Spirit because they've rejected him completely. And so there's nothing more God can do. You know what I mean? And so I think the the unpardonable sin is the one that you don't confess. Mm. And you're not going to confess it unless you feel the need to confess it. Yeah. And as well, like you look, this unpardonable sin is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So all other sins, who are those other sins committed against? I know. So what is this telling us about the Holy Spirit at the same time? Yeah. You well, know, It's divine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he separates the two. It's like you can... You can sin against the spirit, which again, like 
it communicates a spirit's not just a, a force, lifeless force, but rather it is someone you can sin against. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, the next section here was really interesting to me, where he talks about how he treated his mother and brothers. And again, that's connected to something previous, mm. right? Because in, in last week's reading, verse 20 and 21, he says, then he went home and the crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. And he says, when his family heard it, they went and seized him for they were saying he's out of his mind. So his family turned against him. And if you read in the Desire of Ages, a commentary on this, she was saying that they, they saw Jesus' zeal to minister to others and that he would sacrifice his own health and well-being to give. Mm. And they were like, he's out of his mind. That's too, it's too much giving. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so he then, after that, he, the, the, the Pharisees come and he, he rebukes them. And then he continues teaching and, and his mother and brothers sent people to Jesus. And they said to him, your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. Mm. And he answers them, who are my brother, mother and my brothers? Um, looking about those who sat, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For, the, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Hmm. And it's like you miss in the story. You miss in the story that his own family went through a period of not supporting him. Hmm. And he's essentially saying like, listen, like you may be my blood, you may be my family, but this is more important. And do you know what I loved in all of that? I loved how those who, well, you would suppose would be on the inside or on the outside. Yes. Those who are on the outside are actually on the inside. And, and I think it's there's this bigger picture of this is Jesus is redefining what family is. Yes. Because he's creating this new community. And this new community is called the family of God. And he's like, you know, your, your, in, your ticket into this family is not determined by your, your biological bloodline. Yeah. But it's determined by my bloodline, the Redeemer's blood. And those who mm. were on the inside, That's I'm good. inviting to come, you know, who, who were on the outside, I'm inviting to come on the inside. And those who thought that they were on the, the inside, like the yes. Pharisees and the scribes and such, are actually on the outside. Yes. And this is this, is this window of the kingdom of heaven. You know, 100%. Everybody is welcome. 100%. I also wrote, even those who were closest and dearest to him had no right to interfere with his work or calling. Yeah. I've seen this a lot, like working for Arise or Mission College or something. You talk to these adults and or young adults, and they're like feeling so convicted by God that they need to do something like this. They don't know why they believe what they believe. They don't. They don't even know Jesus for themselves, and they're just like, "Man, if I can just carve out some time and just saturate myself with the gospel, saturate myself with the opportunity to share." Like I feel like God wants me to do that, and so many times parents have come in and be like, "Yeah, but your career, mm. you got to put your career first. Yeah. And it's like, man, like we, and I guess this is a bit of an insight in like the commandment of honor your mother and your father. Yeah. It's like, you have to do that, but not if that means obeying them means not obeying God. And verse 35, where Jesus cuts the chase and he says, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And so like for Jesus, and it's really important, we're about to, to go into this parable about the sowers yeah. and the key kind of emphasis in the parable of the sower is they all, like there's a word that's repeated throughout this chapter and it's the word here. 
here, mm. here, here. Um, and we're going to look at this shortly, but you've got four different soils and they yeah. all hear. Mm-hmm. You know, it all says hear. Yes. Um, but there's a difference between hearing and doing. And, and, you know, in Scripture, you know, we're told not just to be hearers of the word but doers of the word. It's not enough just to know what we should do. We need to act on the convictions that God has sent. Yes. Yeah. 100%. One last point before we jump into it, just a very short one. I actually thought this was like a really clear biblical example that Christians shouldn't give any special attention to Mary. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like Catholicism is just like Mary, Mary's holy, Mary's holy, Mary's holy. But then Jesus isn't putting her on that level. Mm. He's putting on the same level as everyone. It's like, wait a minute. If you walk in God's will, we're fam. If you don't walk in God's will, we aren't. Like you don't talk. He never talks like that about the Father. Never talks about that like that about the Spirit. Do you know what I mean he's he, she's a human? And I think this is just another clear biblical example that we shouldn't be pedestaling Mary. She's outside of the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought. I don't know. I just I hadn't seen that verse for that yeah. purpose before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's um, get into this parable, man. Yeah. So, um, all right. I got a question for you before you get into it. Yeah. Did you cheat? I know we know this parable. We've read this parable and preached this parable many times. But on the day where this was all you had to do, did you add comments from the interpretation, or did you just deal with this? I, it, bit of both. It's very same. <laughs> I found it so hard to not like. Yeah, anyway. It's really difficult to disconnect your thoughts when you actually know. I know, it really is. But um, I, I, I did try and, I mean, I preached this a couple of times and so it's like I don't want to be including things that I've actually preached or discovered before. It's like, <laughs> well, what's new? I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, man, I don't want to use stuff that I've used. But you know what? But like, I did a little bit, to be honest. There are things that are new that I did discover. Yeah, same. And that just shows you that. 100%. There's so much depth to the scriptures. 100%. Um, let's, I think we should just quickly summarize the parable. Um, yeah. And so there may be people who are watching that actually haven't read it yet. They're not acquainted yep. with it. And so essentially there's four different soils and this sower goes out and he sows seeds and the seeds fall in four different soils. The first one is the hard soil. Uh, the birds come and they eat the seed. It doesn't penetrate the earth. The second seed falls on stony, shallow soil. And yep. so it goes into the soil. It it comes up. Yep. But because the the shallow, the shallow rocks, the roots can't go deep and the yep. sun actually kills the plant when it grows. And then the, the third one is the, the seed that falls amongst thorns, which choke out the life of the plant. And then yep. the fourth one is the one that falls in good soil and actually brings an amazing harvest. Yes. So that's what we're looking at. Yeah. Yes. That's the story. And, and by the way, that's all the crowd would have heard. Yeah. Because it's not till later on that he privately tells the disciples the interpretation. He unpacks it. So if you're a Pharisee waiting to attack him and that's all you hear, what do you have? He's like out there preaching about gardening. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But he's yeah. not. He's preaching about such deep spiritual things. But yeah, anyway. I'd be interested to hear what, what, what was new that you found in this. And then I'll okay. share something that well, I... First of all, it jumped out at me that there was more content, more said about the stony ground than any other ground. Mm. Everyone else gets a short verse each, but the stony ground gets two kind of longer verses. So they... they like. Jesus spends more time mm. talking about the stony ground than the other ones. And I wondered if that's kind of significant that maybe we should notice that. Yeah. Notice that. Um, I hadn't noticed that before, that yeah. more time was spent on that than the others. I hadn't seen that either. Um, then here's the thought that got me that I hadn't had before. 
This is not describing the world. Mm. All these different soils are within reach of hearing the word. Yes, yes. Do you know, so, so this is people that at church. This is church, and and the the from the ones on the most periphery of church they hear it sometimes to those that are most involved. This is not just the world in general because if the the seed is the word and the sower is the one preaching the word or sharing the word, these people are in reach of where the seed's being thrown. Yeah, and so when it's the church, it's not just those that are, are members of the church, but those who are being the gospel is spreading, then they're yes. hearing that invitation. Yeah, yes. yeah I hear you. Yeah, yeah. Um, then he's an... Oh, yeah, I don't know if you want to keep going of stuff. Um, well... You go, you go. Share, share some stuff. So I guess what I really loved is just this whole diet idea of the sower just sowing the seed and just that whole kind of... It's, it's almost reckless and wasteful. Mm. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. he's just throwing it out there and it's just like, well, it will land, well, it will land and, you know... Some will take take root, some won't. Some are going to get eaten. Like he's probably sowing the seed out there and watching the birds eat the seed. But he's like, no, this this seed just needs to get out there. And when you think about it, out of the, the four soils, like three out of the four actually die. Yeah. And so, and, and I kind of, I kind of connected that to witnessing. You know, it's just like you just, you put the seed out there and God determines what happens next. 100%. Yeah. I, um, I actually got that on this parable. But it didn't connect with me till a couple of days later. Yeah. For another parable, the one where it says like he throws a seed and it grows. Yes, yes. And no one understands, and it's just like just just do the seed sowing. And I'm like, oh yeah, that. And it kind of a couple of days later, it reminded me of it that. Connects. Yeah, yeah. And I think it, it just opens up a window to the heart of God. The invitation is going out there to everybody. Yeah. And I think this really connects with what we we're talking beforehand about the um the the scribes and how they harden their heart. You know, the invitation has gone out. Yes. You know, but they're represented by that hard soil where the seed isn't able to penetrate because it's just calloused itself so much. Well, this is the thought I have, and it's not a new thought, but how does a pathway in those days get built? This isn't concrete. Yeah. So how does a, a path in the, in the grass get built? It's by walking on it. Mm. You see this, like you, you have a specific path that gets walked on through the woods and that just, the grass doesn't grow there. The soil gets hardened yes. from the busyness of the traffic. Mm. And so there's kind of like two busynesses that happen. you got like the one later on with the thorns where they choke it out. Yeah. But there's a busyness that prevents you from hearing it and then a busyness that makes what you heard null and void. Yes, yes. Do you know what I mean? And so it's like these guys' hearts are hardened to not be able to receive it because of like possibly because of the the busyness yeah, yeah. That, that's been going on and you know I, I think this might kind of parallel people that are kind of in church and there is a sermon being preached and they're checking emails because there's <laughs> an offer that needs to happen or something's happened at school or that, whatever it is and so they're present and it's being preached around them but they're not hearing it because of other things that are kind of taking precedent of heart in their heart does yeah, that make yeah. sense it does it does yeah do you um like when i was studying this i was just kind of thinking as well about the good soul and probably out of all the soils the good soul has the least said about it yeah and i mean absolutely it does i, I actually look at the, the it just talks about what it produced yeah but the good soil that no, good soil just doesn't become good soil mm. 
you know, it needs to be made good soil. Yeah. And so, you know, there was probably a time where the good soil was, was the hardened path or it was stone or there were stones in it or there were, I mean, thorns are natural to the soil. Yes. And so it just kind of shows that there's work that has to happen in this soil to prepare it to receive the word. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's the work of the Holy Spirit. 100%. Working behind the scenes, you know, molding the heart, fashioning the heart, making it receptive to the seed that when it does, when it does fall, it's able to germinate and produce yeah. a crop. 100%. Can we talk about the interpretation and the whole parable? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, because here's something that I kind of never noticed before. In the explanation of the, the thorny ground, um, so, so, so let me just jump. Like the three different soils that aren't good, they either get devoured, scorched, or choked. Yes. So one ditch is not better than the other. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's not like it's better to be stony than the pathway. Yeah. Or it's not like better to be the thorns than stony. Like none of them produce fruit. It's only the good. Yeah. Then here's the part that it kind of I never picked up on before, but I should have. The path never becomes a plant. The soil, uh, the rocky ground, the plant dies. But the plant doesn't die on the thorns. And I never noticed that before. It just doesn't produce It just doesn't fruit. bear fruit. It's not like it gets choked out and suffocated and dies. It just doesn't get to produce fruit. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting in the way that the, the process, there seems mm. to be this kind of journey. So it says, but the cares of the world, this is verse 19, and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word. Mm. I hadn't seen that point before. That's a really good point. So it seems to start with cares. Mm. But rather than laying their cares upon God, they do what we all attempted to do. And what I've many times been tempted to do, just leave ministry and go try some, find something that pays more money. Because if I just get more money, things will be, be fine. <laughs> but it's deceitful. Riches are deceitful because I don't know anyone with lots of money who doesn't feel like they need more. Yeah. Right? It doesn't actually solve the problem. It doesn't actually quench the thirst. And so rather than putting trust in God, they put their trust in riches. And you always do that of, if I can just have this, mm. it'll be fine. Yeah. But they get this and what do they desire? What, what are they left with? Not with being quenched or satisfied. Desires for other things. They got more it's a, desires. That's a really good point. And, and, and it's not, no longer a desire for the word. They're desiring other things. Mm. And so the word becomes choked out and not fruitful in their life. And, I've never and, seen that before. And what they're desiring is actually a really good point: is competing things. They're mm. they're substitutes, but they're not adequate substitutes. Yeah. Well, I like the way that you worded it, competing, because several times in the Gospels, Jesus says, um, "You cannot love God and Mammon." Yeah. Right. Yeah. They they're competing things. He says you love one or hate one. You, yeah. And like in the message to the Church of Laodicea, it's like you're either hot or you're cold lukewarm well you're by default yeah cold yeah. so be one or the other you can't play the fence that's a really good point um i guess something that kind of jumped out to me um from this is in the middle there's some weird verses well when i say i have a lot of question marks on my page that i put here because i'm like what is jesus getting at you know when he's he's talking about you know the, parables. About the purpose of parables the second? purpose of parables Right, I've got um. question marks all over the place. <laughs> so where Jesus says in verse in verse 11 and 12, he says, And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, mm. which kind of reminds us of the house and those who are on the outside, um, everything is in parables. 
so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. I'm just like, well, what is Jesus talking about here? Has he hardened people's hearts so that they can't receive this or is that something of their own choosing? Well, and what made it kind of harder for me is that this was a standalone reading for the day. Mm. And it wasn't till the next day where verse 13 came into the picture that it kind of gave me some clarity. Yeah. Because it sounds like, man, he doesn't want some people to be saved. Mm. But it's interesting, verse 13 starts off with, he said to them, who are the them? Well, it's the ones that he's saying this to, the disciples and the others that were there with him. Yeah. He says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand this parable? Mm. So he's like, I speak like this so that they can't understand. So the ones on the outside can't understand. Do you guys understand? Mm. And the answer is no. And no I- you know what I mean? So it's like, well, you're in the same place as those that are on the outside in your understanding. But the difference is, that they're with Jesus now personally as disciples. Yeah. And so then he just jumps into explaining it. So how will you understand? Well, the answer is evident because he's the one explaining it. Yeah. And so I guess the difference isn't God having predetermined who's going to be saved or who's not. Like, you know, like it's not like I don't want them to know so they're gone. It's like, no, no, only those who are my disciples will mm. know. Yeah. Mm. As well, and and that's actually a really good point because the way that I understood this passage as I kept reading. Yeah, teach um, me, man, because honestly. And it all made sense because you see in verse, and and I've said this before, but I'll say it again. In verse 12, you said, and indeed hear but do not understand. Now you see the word hear again used in verse 15. So this is the the seed that falls on the hard soil. They hear. Verse 16, uh, the seed that falls on the stony soil. They hear. Yes. And then you come to verse 18, the thorny soul, they hear, who hear the word. But then you come down to verse 20, and this answered it for me. Like every single soul has heard. But really the question is, what do they do with what they've heard? Mm-hmm. And in verse 20, you said discipleship. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the clearest definition that Jesus gives on discipleship is in verse 20 with the good soul. He says, those who hear the word, accept it and bear fruit. Mm. That's discipleship right there. It's hearing accepting into your heart, into your life, and then it's being fruitful. And so that whole concept of fruitfulness, you know, you abide in me and I and you and you'll produce much fruit, that comes in relationship with God. And relationship with God is not only hearing what he says, but actually doesn't doing what he says, you know. Mm. And I think that this is this really kind of powerful picture of discipleship. And not just discipleship, but also the fruitfulness of discipleship. Like what's the harvest? 30-fold. 60 fold. Yeah. Like, that's a crazy harvest. Receive it, accept it, apply it. You bear fruit. You, you do the will. You live with God. And then His is the increase that your life is in constant growth. And I think that this is an important point to make. And I think often, you know, it's treated as a dirty word it's mm. obedience. Yes. I mean, obedience is essential for discipleship. If, can't have it without it. I mean, if you want your faith to grow, you need to be obedient to what God has revealed. Well, the root word for discipleship is discipline. Yeah. And so I think sometimes people say, oh, you know, obedience is such a negative thing. But obedience is a, an essential thing if you want to grow. Mm. And you said it before, discipline. 
you know, like when you look at the, the, the soil, you know, the seed that falls in the soil where there's, there's thorns, you know, it's having that discipline that when those thorns grow, you pull them out before mm. they have the opportunity to, to overtake you. Yeah. It's, it's looking at your life and saying, okay, what is consistent with the message of Christ and what's actually interfering with my relationship with Christ? It's all those things. Um, just quickly as to wrap okay. up, because the next parable that Jesus shares is actually really significant. Because he talks about, you know, a, a lamp and a light. And he says, nobody lights um, a, a lamp and then, you know, covers it. Mm. They let it shine. Yeah. And so I think Jesus is making a really powerful point. He's, he's saying nobody makes an intentional effort or nobody, like, in the common world would make an intentional effort to hide the light that they lit. Mm-hmm. And, he, and Jesus is making this point. What sense would it that then make for people to receive light from heaven and then try to cover up that light from heaven? He says it, it just wouldn't make sense. And for those people who ignore the light that God has revealed, he actually says, you know, um, that those people actually um, will have what they actually presently have taken from them. Mm. But for those that accept the light, actually receive more light and yeah. more understanding. And so obedience isn't, isn't just something that we do once. It's something that we do always. And as we walk with God, we see more and more and more. So that's how I saw the end of the last one when it says 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. It's, it's each time, you yeah. know, and, and it's growth. And I actually wrote here, uh, this parable to me at least seems connected to the soul parable. Yeah. Specifically in the bearing fruit, it's, that, it's the growing, right? So as you put into practice and allow that seed to germinate, to grow and bear fruit, he gives more fruit and yes. more growth. And and I think that's why there's no such thing in your walk with God as staying put. Mm. You're either getting closer to God or further to God, never the same. Yeah. And, and and so again, again, he's saying, like, listen, you don't do this to cover it. You don't do this to stay the same. It's to grow in Jesus daily. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I um I wrote down here on this parable, um, just before we close rejecting light doesn't mean doesn't just put you in darkness the light that you do have is in danger of disappearing as well Mm. and so i think that there's a real danger when we resist what god has revealed we don't just reject reject new light we also imperil the light that we have and i think that you just connect that all the way back to the unpardonable sin with the pharisees and what Jesus is saying that this, I think we're so quick to look at the, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, you know, and think, oh man, you know, how, how, why did they harden their heart so much? But Jesus is saying this to now believers. Yeah. You, we can very easily find ourselves in the same place. Yeah. yeah. To the place where we are the pathway, mm. where the seed doesn't even penetrate. Yeah. Right? Like it doesn't matter how much seed he throws on that hard way. It doesn't matter how much seed is thrown on the pathway. Unless the seed is good soil, uh, unless the pathway becomes good soil, mm. yeah. that's it, and it's very sobering. Yeah. But I think that that's actually a really good challenge for all of us that are doing this challenge, and that is to accept that as we read, it's not just about gaining knowledge, but being disciples yeah. and growing closer to God, bearing fruit in our life that is only His that can able to is able to do that. And to, and to not just be hearers or readers of the word, but doers. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Guys, thanks for tuning in today. We pray that you were blessed as we studied the scripture, particularly the, the parable of the, the, the sower who goes and sows the seeds on the different soils. 
And we just want to encourage you that whatever soil you may identify with the most, um, Jesus can do anything with any soil. For the hard soil, he can break open the hard soil and give it new life. For the stony soil, he can remove those stones. And for this, the soil that is thorny, he can pluck up those weeds and give you a new vitality of life. I want to encourage you today that whatever soil you identify with, that you say, Jesus, do what you need to do in me, that I might become that good soil that may produce a rich, abundant harvest for your sake and for your kingdom. God bless you guys. Looking forward to next week.